Today is the second week in our How to Pray series. It's a four-week series looking at what Jesus had to say about how we should pray in His famous Sermon on the Mount. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the reason we felt it was important to take four weeks to talk about prayer is that we firmly believe that prayer is fundamental to our faith. Um, prayer should be a common practice for all followers of Jesus, and yet we know that prayer is difficult for some, whether it's because they don't know what to say when they pray or they're uncomfortable with the thought of praying out loud in front of other people or they don't seem to have the time to pray. We know all sorts of things keep people from praying. And so we are taking these four weeks to see if what Jesus had to say about prayer in his Sermon on the Mount can be helpful for us in our prayer lives. Last week, Amy talked about prayer bringing the opportunity in, to go into the sacred space and experience God. If you haven't heard Amy's message, I would suggest that you do listen to it. She said that prayer is the very gateway to heaven. And her primary point in all of her sermon last week was to inform us about the, of the wonder that we can find in prayer. Today we're moving on to other aspects of prayer that Jesus addressed in His Sermon on the Mount. And can I just stop for a moment and tell you that for most of my life when I thought about the Sermon on the Mount, I pictured in my mind Jesus standing up on some mountaintop, and He's surrounded by a multitude, a vast multitude of people, and that He's preaching. And the truth is, though, that nothing in what Matthew tells us about the Sermon on the Mount ever says that Jesus was formally, formally preaching a sermon to a large crowd that day. We do hear some comments from a crowd at the end of Jesus' sermon, but the actual language that Matthew uses points to this sermon being more of a time of teaching directed right at His closest disciples. It's more like that than anything that I had imagined for a long time. In fact, many scholars believe that this sermon should be titled, Jesus' Expectations of His Disciples, rather than the Sermon on the Mount. And I tend to agree. I'm of the mind that Jesus, if He'd been given the opportunity to tell us the title of what He says here, or that moment in his life that he would have entitled it, this is how my disciples should live now in today's world. And the now in today's world is really important because one of the great criticisms that I've heard of this sermon is that no one can live like Jesus talked about life in the Sermon on the Mount. Even Martin Luther, of all people, said that what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount is unattainable. And that's why some scholars have gone so far as to say 
that living a Sermon on the Mount lifestyle will only be possible after Jesus returns. But after much study and thinking about this and prayer, I just can't even imagine Jesus would have given us all this stuff to think about if he was of the opinion that, well, nobody's ever going to get around to living like this until after I come back the next time. And so I have come to the conclusion that the Sermon on the Mount is absolutely an outline for what I'll call normal discipleship now. And this is especially so when it comes to what Jesus had to say about prayer. Now, last week, Amy talked about the first verse in Jesus' statements on prayer. And hey, let's just look at it. Let's all turn to it right now first. It's uh, the passages in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 15. That's on page 803 in the House Bible. And while you're looking it up, and we all need to have something so we can see the, the passage in front of us, I want to say hey to those of you watching online. Uh, we know you're out there. We're glad you're with us worshiping today. Um, welcome. Now, in these 10 verses, Matthew 6, 5 to 15, that speak on prayer, they are actually a part of a much larger section that begins in verse 1 of chapter 6. And in this section, Jesus is talking about good deeds that people did in public. And the reason he talks about these publicly done good deeds is that they were, they were actually good deeds. In fact, they were expected, legitimate good deeds but in Jesus' day, these good deeds were, and this is literally, they were literally practiced in public so everybody could see it. And these expected publicly practiced good deeds were giving alms to the poor, fasting, and prayer. We don't have time to talk about much of this today but take my word for it, for most Jews in Jesus' day, the giving of alms to the poor, fasting, and praying were all things that people did in specific ways in public, in public. And look at what Jesus says in verse 1 of chapter 6. He says, watch out. Don't do your good deeds in public to be admired by others. You will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. After he says that, then he talks about some of the loud public displays that were practiced when certain people gave money to the poor. I know I said I didn't have time to talk about it, but I'm going to talk about it, okay? And when they went to the temple, they had six, they were large, they were the be like the bells of trumpets, or a trombone, and they were big, and they were made out of brass. And everybody gave, they didn't have paper money, by the way, they only had coins. And so when people came to give their money at the temple, each one of those trumpet bell things represented a different place to give your money. And one of them was for the poor. And people would come, and you can imagine the noise when a 
person came with two great big bags of coins and dumped them in a brass bell. And you know what happened when somebody did that? Everybody turned and looked, what's all the money? And when the, you know, there's a story about the lady that gives two mites, it goes, dink. And everybody's, but then public giving of alms. Jesus says, stop that. Or he's going to say that later. Later on in the sermon in verses 16 to 18, he talks about public displays when fasting. Can you imagine fasting of all things? People would do it in a way that it was known what they were up to. And in between those two, Jesus talks about prayer. But there's a big umbrella over all three of these, whether you're giving alms or praying or fasting, and he says through the whole passage that when we give or when we fast or when we pray, we are not to be hypocrites. In fact, Jesus' comments about prayer in verse 5 begin with these words, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. We have a specific idea of what a hypocrite is. A hypocrite is somebody who says you're supposed to do this, but then they don't do it. Or there's somebody who says, you're not supposed to do this, and then they do it, right? That's what a hypocrite is. Or somebody who says one thing and does another. But in Jesus' world, the word, it's hypocrites. Hypocrites sounds like hypocrite. The word literally meant to be an actor. It was someone who pretended to be someone that they weren't. And Jesus clearly wasn't down with people being actors when it came to praying. Amy, who, I'll be honest, knows more about being an actor than anybody that I know around here, uh, she talked about praying in a way that's acting. It's just to be seen by other people last week. She said she remembered times when it looked like people were praying to God, but what they were actually doing, it was clear that they were trying to impress somebody with their fancy words, or that they were trying to shame someone in the prayer circle, or they were trying to gossip about somebody. And that sort of acting prayer had actually become a real problem in Jesus' day because prayer as a general rule in their world was something that was done very publicly one person at a time, they weren't really certain about if we all prayed at the same time that God could hear us. And so one person at a time publicly would stand up, arms out, head back, out loud prayer. You can imagine if every time we had a prayer here, somebody had to stand up, put their arms out, head back, and say it out loud for everybody to hear, and it could lead to all kinds of what? Acting, acting. And Amy told us last week that Jesus gave us some very strong orders about these sorts of theatrics. He said, stop this and go into a closet and speak privately to God. Then we get to today's passage that Jesus says in verse seven, when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do, they think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. Now, first off, did you notice that it's very clear that Jesus was expecting us to pray? 
The Greek simply says, when praying, when praying. He is just expecting that we will do it. And then he says, don't babble on as the Gentiles do. Now, the Greek word that gives us babble is only found one time in all of contemporary Greek literature, right here. In the, of the time that this was written, there's no other use of this word up until then, until here. The word is babalogasetai, babalogasetai. And many think, since, oh, by the, can I just tell you, I, I have to tell you this, this is just Tim. Um, when, you only, when you have a word that's only used one time in the text, like this is, and you can't find it anywhere, it's called a hapex legemenon. And I just would like to say that if anyone would like to have a hapex legemenon con- conversation with me, that would make my day. Can I just tell you? <laughs> All right, we'll just leave it at that. Anyway, what people think is this. You remember, Jesus spoke Aramaic. He did not speak Greek. He spoke Aramaic. So what he actually said was something like this. He said, when you pray, don't. And then they assume he used some weird, nonsensical Aramaic phrase, like our phrase, blah, blah, blah. Okay? Blah, blah, blah. And Matthew who's translating Jesus' Aramaic blah, blah, blah into Greek, knew he had to use some Greek word that also said blah, blah, blah. And so he just made up a word, babalogasetai, babalogasetai, yeah. Now, where it actually came from, we don't know. But some scholars think that Matthew may have been familiar with a current contemporary Greek poet of the time whose name was Battus. And Battus was known for writing long, tedious, boring poems. And they were considered to be a load of blah, blah, blah. He was only famous because he was rich enough to have people write it out for him. And so, people think that Matthew just made up a word using this mind-numbing poet's name to give us a one-off Greek word that meant what we think of when somebody is blah, blah, blahing on and on and on. And boy, did Jesus know what he was talking about when he's talking about the Gentiles, the people who practiced other religions, praying in ways that was just babalogasetai. There were three kinds of prayer in the ancient world, in that part of the ancient world. There was Roman Greek prayer, there was pagan prayer, and there was Jewish prayer. Now, Roman and Greek prayer consisted mostly of calling out to the gods using as many names of the gods that you could think of in hopes that you'd get somebody's attention. You see, they believed the gods were distant 
and completely uninterested in human beings. They believed that gods were more interested in what people could do for them than what they could do for people. And so Roman and Greek prayer mostly was trying to get some God's attention so you could remind the gods of all the things you'd done in the past for them and then they might return the favor. And then pagan prayer was really big on getting incantations perfectly. It was thought that if you said an incantation in the exact way, with the perfect words in the right order, and their pronunciation was absolutely perfect, then the gods, when they heard that perfect statement from somebody down on earth, they'd have to do what they asked them to do. They were obligated because somebody said the words right. And so pagan prayers were mostly about people making multiple attempts at saying these words perfectly so they could get one of the gods to do something for them. And so you can see why Jesus would say, don't pray babbling like the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. It's no wonder Jesus said, don't be like them. But then he went on to say something amazing. He said, for your father knows exactly what you need before you ask him. More on that in a minute. But first, it's important to know that at this time, long, wordy prayers like the Gentiles were praying had crept into Jewish prayer life. Historical records of the time say that this was a trend among the religious elite. And Jesus didn't want his disciples falling into a Babylogosetai mess. Jesus' words here make it very clear that he wanted his disciples to know that one, God wasn't distant, nor was God unconcerned about them. And they didn't have to work overtime trying to get God's attention, and they certainly didn't need to try to work out deals with God to say, hey, I did this for you, and now you need to do this for me. Jesus wanted them to know that God knew them well. In fact, he knew them so well that he knew what they needed before they asked. And I'm convinced this is still true today for us. I know that this final statement by Jesus raises all sorts of questions. I know this. It's like questions like, why do we even have to pray if he already knows what we need? Or, Why doesn't he just give us what we need instead of making us go to all the trouble of asking him? Well, before I get into any of that, I want you to know that this idea of God knowing what we need before we ask wasn't something new that Jesus just dropped out of the air on the disciples at that moment. There is a passage in the Old Testament book of Isaiah It was written almost 800 years before Jesus gave his Sermon on the Mount, by the way, where Isaiah quotes God when God is talking about what it will be like when his kingdom arrives. 
And just before God says that famous line about the lion lying down with the lamb and the wolf and the lamb uh, grazing together in the wonderful world of peace, right before he says that, he says this, I will answer them before they even call to me. While they are still talking about their needs, I will go ahead and answer their prayers. And Jesus was saying to his disciples then and to us now, this prophecy wasn't about some far distant future. It is about now. And I fully believe it is still about right now. Truth is, whether we believe it or not, God is paying attention to our lives. And he cares about us and he knows what we need even before we even get around to asking. And I'm certain that Jesus meant for these words to change the way his disciples prayed. He wanted them to pray in the confidence that they were being heard no matter what they said or how they said it. And I think Jesus still wants us to pray in this confidence as well. And so let's get really practical, okay? What does Jesus want us to take from these couple of verses today about how to pray? And the first thing that I think he wanted us to take from this passage is that there isn't any formula for saying the right things in prayer. Prayer is simply speaking to God in honesty from the heart. That's all. Whether what you have to say to God is thank you or help me, or if it's please watch out for my loved one, or if it's please protect me from that dangerous person, the best I can, advice I can give you is to just be as straight with God as you possibly can. The bottom line is that God already knows what you need before you ask. Now, how that all works, I can't explain. But I will say this. I can give you any number of examples, and this is a bit emotional for me right now. Even in the last two weeks of my life, where it was clear that God had already put the wheels in motion to say, take care of something in my life and in my family's life, he had started things going. People were making decisions, canceling appointments, not being able to sleep at night because of something they'd done to us. All kinds of things were happening out here that were part of answering the prayer that I had not yet gotten around to pray. I am not a highly mystical, supernatural sort of guy. I'm not. But I can't deny that this particular statement by Jesus has shown itself to be true, at least in my life and in my family's life. And it is true. We are not special. God knows what you need before you ask. So my first bit of practical advice is to go, don't go looking for some set formulas in prayer. Sure, it's okay to write your prayers down. It's okay to pray prayers that other people have written. But always keep in mind that you're talking to God. 
And there is no formula for praying that will move him any more than simply being straight with him. And secondly, prayer should be simple and direct and straight from the heart. Jesus is telling us that we can't gain any extra points with God by being all spiritual in our prayers. What's important is honesty. Honesty about our attitudes and our feelings, even the depth of our trust in Him. God clearly wants honesty about what is going on deep down in here. That's what He wants from you and me. God is already aware of everything good, bad, so you can't fool him with anything. I mean, you can't fool him with thespian-esque flattery. He is not fooled by that. Again, being an actor is fine, just not when you're praying. What I found is that when I'm honest with God, and honest about what is really going on in the deep recesses of my soul, it is freeing. And I'm convinced by what Jesus says in this passage is that this is what God wants from us. He wants honesty that leads to a relationship with Him that is built on trust. Jesus was telling His disciples, and I'm including you and me when I say disciples, that when we turn to God in true honesty, in prayer, He is listening, and the reason He is listening to you is because He loves you. The fact that in here He says, when speaking to your Father, tells you and me that we are family, family. Can I also add, if you're having any difficulty believing that God is present with you, or that He cares about you, that is where your prayer should start. Simply and directly say, I am having a hard time believing that you are present. Or just simply say, I am having a hard time believing right now, God, that you care. That's all you need to say. My own experience is that when I have moments when my heart feels distant from God, or I am uncertain that He cares about me, and I simply and directly pray a prayer like that, generally I get an answer fairly quickly that in some way shifts my heart from wondering to trusting. And again, I just think it's all about being simple and direct and honest with God because He wants to be honest and direct with us as well. Many years ago, more than I like thinking about when I was speaking on prayer here at Grace, and I said that one of my most precious moments of the day was when I would put my little ones to bed, uh, that when I would be telling them stories or just or read, you know, reading to them or just talking to them, they would often fall asleep in my arms as I was doing that. And it was precious to me because I knew that they felt safe and secure when I was present with them in that way. And I said it then, years ago, and I still think it's true now that I can't imagine that your heavenly Father is any different than I am as a father. 
Amy talked a little bit about falling asleep in prayer last week, but I want to go further with this. When you put your head on the pillow and you speak to God simply and honestly and directly about your life and your concerns and your hopes and your dreams and your needs and possibly fall asleep in the middle of that prayer, I cannot help but believe that God has just as much joy in that moment as I had when my children and now my grandchildren fall asleep in the safety and comfort of my arms. I'm just saying. Remember, he already knows what you need before you even ask. And it seems like it still might be true that when we fall asleep and don't even get around to asking him for something, he already knows that it was on our heart and he's already working to take care of it. Jesus told us directly that prayer does not become effective due to the fanciness of our words or the volume of them or the number of them. Prayer finds its effectiveness in the honesty of our hearts. And that's all that God is concerned about. When we pray simply in direct honesty and we're not acting and just being exactly who we are, I believe this brings great joy to the heart of God. And as odd as it may sound for me to say this, I believe that God is thankful that he gets the privilege of spending that precious, honest time with you. I believe he loves listening to you share your heart with him. And he also loves finding ways to tell you that he loves you. Our series is called How to Pray. And so how are we to pray? Well, Jesus' words in this part of his sermon make the answer to that question very simple. We are to pray with simple, direct words, words that get straight to the point, words that reveal the truth about our hearts and our situations. And when we do this, Jesus has promised in this passage that God is listening and that he is waiting to give us what he knows we truly need. That's how we pray. That's how we pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage. Thank you for the directness of it. And I also thank you, Father, for the way that it's so appropriate. It was appropriate in the day when you first said it, and it's still appropriate for us now. Father, I pray that we will be people who seek you out, seek to spend time with you, and allow you to change our lives during our times of honesty with you. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thanks for watching, but don't stop there. We want you to find community at Grace Church, and the first step in doing that is going to gracechurch.us hub. There you'll find other sermons, details about upcoming events, and other important announcements. And make sure you subscribe to our channel so you don't miss out when we post something new. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next time.